We all fail from time to time, but God is willing to restore us just as he did for Peter, turning failure into spiritual success, next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will begin his final message in the Gospel of John. In chapter 21, the Lord will reestablish Peter into public ministry. Now the scene opens with the Lord meeting the disciples for breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias as they return from fishing. Today's Abounding Grace is all about restoration. So if you're in need of another chance, you've come to the right place. We're going to start in Luke chapter 5. And we're going to make our way into John chapter 21 as we're in the last chapter now of John's gospel. And what a tremendous time that we've enjoyed over the last few years studying and walking down the dusty roads with Jesus, learning and growing. And last week we were with the disciples led by Peter, a few of the disciples that went back fishing and they were fishing all night and they caught nothing. They fished and they fished and they fished, and yet at the command of Jesus, when they cast their nets on the other side, they caught 153 large fish. And it was so encouraging. And God will always supply our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. It was the missionary Hudson Taylor that went to China that said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done God's way will not lack God's supply. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In Luke chapter 5, we have the call of Peter into ministry. And it's very similar to what we read in John chapter 21 as he is restored into ministry. Notice with me Luke chapter 5, pick up in verse 1. And so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake Gennesaret. Three different names for the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, we learned last week, the Sea of Tiberias and also now the Lake of Gennesaret. All the same thing, Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then, verse 3, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered, and Simon is another name for Peter. Sometimes he referred to as Simon Peter. So Peter answers, And said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net, notice, was breaking. Turn over now to John chapter 21. 
John chapter 21. Pick up with me in verse 10. This is now at the end of Jesus' time with Peter. Peter has denied the Lord three times. He has seen him resurrected, but they're still trying to process everything that they've taken in in such a short amount of time. Peter decided to go fishing. He wants to go back to his career. He's going to leave the call of God, and he's going to go back to fishing, what he knew. And many people went with him. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. At the beginning of Peter's call into ministry, his call to no longer be a fisherman, man, but to be a fisher of men, Jesus sends him out and says, put down your net in the deep. And he catches a big catch, comes in, and the net's breaking. Now at the end of his life, at the end of, I should say, the, right before the ascension of Jesus Christ, at the end of the ministry of Jesus on the earth, as Peter's going to be recommissioned and restored, now we have an instance where they're bringing in fish and the net doesn't break. Now, I want to bring out something that Pastor John Corson brought out in his commentary that I thought was so cool, such a distinction that we didn't touch on last week. In Luke 5, the catch had broken nets, and it was the beginning of Peter's evangelistic ministry. And so the broken nets really do become a picture of evangelism, and I'll show you, why, show you how. So many get caught with the gospel. So many hear the message, and so many respond to the message, and yet the net breaks. Not everyone that responds to the gospel is truly going to continue on with the faith. You know, not, not everyone that raises their hand, not everyone that stands up at an invitation, not everyone that comes forward at a crusade or at an altar call in a particular church is going to continue on in the faith. Sometimes it's just an emotional response. Sometimes something's happened in a person's life where they are touched by the Word of God. It's just at the right time. They know they need to think, make things right. They listen to the pastor. They follow through, but then... Well, you know, Jesus taught us when he gave us the parable of the sower. He said a sower goes out and sows seed, and out of the four examples that he gives, three were ripped off, and only one made it through. I think it's a stern warning for us, and those listening in on the radio uh, somewhere in the country, around the world, or online right now, for us here, it's a stern warning that because you raise your hand when you're five years old, or because you might have stood here and prayed a prayer, you must be born again. So raising a hand doesn't save you. Standing doesn't save you. Walking the aisle doesn't save you. Saying a few words with, with no resultant new life doesn't save a person. Jesus said, we must be born again. And you go, Ed, well, how will I know? Well, Jesus taught us on that matter. Jesus said that Good fruit comes from a good tree. Therefore, the opposite is also true that Jesus taught us, that bad fruit comes from a bad tree. You can see your life. Has there been change? Have you repented of sin? Now, we aren't speaking of a perfect life. No one lives a perfect life until they meet Jesus face to face. But what is coming from your life since you 
prayed that prayer since you turned your life toward God? What's coming from your life? Because if you see bad fruit, then you really need to question yourself. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. We don't know your heart. So when you respond, we're going to take you at your word. If you believe that you, you really need to get your life right with God and you are repenting of your sin and you say you're a believer, we're going to treat you like a believer. We're going to hold you accountable to what the Word of God says. We're going to hold you accountable to what a life lived for Jesus looks like. If you say you're a believer and you act like an unbeliever, we'll evangelize you. Because that's what you do with people that look like unbelievers. We share the gospel with you. What's going on? And you come back, but I got saved. I raised my hand when I was 10 years old. But look at your life, bro. Look at your life. It's not lived for the things of God. And of course, if you're here today and you're a skeptic and you're kind of, you were here because somebody invited you, or then, then we're going we're gonna to share the gospel with you. The Bible uses that word evangelism. But it's important for us to understand the broken nets, the fisher of men and women. Not everybody is going to continue on, even here. Even here at Calvary, we have all the water baptisms throughout the year because we haven't had one in the reservoir for a while. So we have baptisms now on Wednesday nights. I mean, we had so many people get water baptized that we ordered a brand new baptismal. So now that we're going to have three, by the way, I just want you to know, the word baptismal is a code word for a painted horse trough. So at any rate, that's what it's going to be here. There's going to be three of them now. Because so many, we were, we're staying so late baptizing on Wednesday nights that, that we're going to have three of them now. And I have to say this, not everyone that's baptized in water is saved. So you come and you go, man, I, I got water baptized, but your life hasn't changed. All that happened that night is you got wet. You must be born again. That's the only way. It's the only way that you and I, God must save you and me. And he does. But don't just rely on a prayer or a raising of the hand or attending a church that uses the Bible. You must be born again. It's the only way you're going to see the kingdom of God. Now, in John 21, we see that there's another big catch, but the nets don't break. This speaks to us of discipleship and pastoral care. You say, Ed, how do you know that? Because we're going to read in just a moment the direction that Jesus gives to Peter for the rest of his life. It's going to be to feed the lambs, tend the lambs, feed the lambs. Peter, I'm calling you and restoring you into pastoral ministry The rest of your life will not be spent fishing. The rest of your life, Peter, will be taking care of my sheep. It won't be easy, as we'll learn. It will be difficult. But that is what you're going to be doing, Peter. And notice, for this call to discipleship and pastoral care, you're going to bring them all in, all 153. A lot of people spend time trying to figure out what 153 looks like when there's a clearer message there. And he says, bring them to me. And as he does, the net doesn't break. Bring them to me. When it comes to evangelism, we can't lean too much on numbers because we don't know the hearts of men. And yet, in John 21, we can lean on the ability to take care of the flock and minister to those that are following Jesus. But you know, it's not, it's not, like whose responsibility is that? When you say, well, who's supposed to take care of the flock? It would be easy for you to yell out, you, Ed. It's your responsibility. You're the pastor. I'm not a pastor. And in some sense, 
that would be a correct answer, but it's not the right answer. Who's to take care of the flock of God? It's not you. It's not your responsibility yet, but rather it's our responsibility, church. It's our responsibility. We've all been gifted and put in the body exactly where God wants us, and it's our responsibility. It's not just for the 13 pastors that are here. It's not just for the the dozens and dozens and dozens of elders and lay leaders here. It's for us. You know, when God puts it upon your heart to go visit someone in the hospital, guess what? The church was visiting that hospital. When God puts it upon your heart to take food to uh, someone in need in your community, guess what? The church just gave food to that person in your community. And yet at the same time, I realize I can't do everything. Maybe you feel that way. I can't do everything. I want to do everything. I can't do everything. And as someone once said, even though we can't do everything, we must do something. And when we do something, it's collectively together the body of Christ Man, that's when the church makes a difference in the world. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And I would just say that's a word of the Lord for some of you. You can't do everything, but you've got to do something, church. You can't just keep looking at the world and and talking about how bad it is, how much you don't like, and instead of just, man, do something about it then in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of your opinion, not in the name of your attitude. Like, it is a bad world. I, don't, I, I can't watch news sometimes. It's just overwhelming. I just can't believe what's happening. I, I can't believe the, I just, I just it's, so, it's so much that, hey, look, when Jesus says bring them to him, the net doesn't break. And we need to take care of one another. Whose job is it to pastor and shepherd the flock? It's all of our job in our own calling. Those of us that follow Jesus and love him, serve one another, that nobody falls through the cracks, nobody, that the Lord would use us in mighty ways. Well, notice in verse 12, Jesus says, come and eat breakfast, and none of the disciples asked him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. He didn't, he didn't need to do that, but he was already cooking for them. He loved to share a meal. He was cooking for them. He didn't need their fish. He could have multiplied the fish himself, but he invites him. It's kind of a picture of the marriage feast of the Lamb one day. Jesus just inviting us into his presence to share a meal. Verse 14, this is the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, and we're going to read these three words together each time they come up, all right? So there's going to be one in verse 15, one in verse 16, one in verse 17. And you guys connected by technology and radio, you read it with us. So let me reread that. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, say it out loud, feed my lambs, verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep, verse 17. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How many times did Peter deny the Lord again? And how many times does Jesus give Peter a chance to affirm his love to him? Three times. 
I wonder if it was for each of the times he denied him. We read Bible stories. We can become so familiar with these true stories of the Bible that we lose the significance. I put myself in Peter's, I put myself in Peter's sandals for a moment and think, if Jesus came to me today and said, Ed, and we were trying to think of animals first service, so, you know, because there's no roosters in my neighborhood. Uh, I think they're against the association or something, but you can't have roosters. So what kind of things make noise? And so we had all kinds of people say, dogs. No, dogs isn't going to work. And I thought of cats that are eaten by dogs, so that was an option. But, but what I was thinking is in our neighborhood, uh, there's open space far away, and you can hear the coyotes, like nasty noise. So I was thinking... Jesus came to me and said, Ed, by the time you hear the crazy noise of the coyotes tonight, you'll deny me three times. Do you know what my response would be? No way. I really believe that. There's just no way, Lord. I mean, I know I'm weak, and I know I had issues, but to deny you three times? And I could even think, if all of Calvary Aurora denies you, I'll never deny you, Lord. And I believe Peter was, like, legit. I don't think, I, I know he was, God was revealing pride in his life, and if I was ever to say something, oh, all Calvary would deny you, that would be very prideful of me. So I know that God is revealing, but I think he believed it completely. I think he was dedicated to follow. I believe he was not going to be, he, I, I believe he wasn't going to be in any way persuaded to deny Jesus, except that he didn't really even know himself, did he? And the weakness of his own flesh. So that the denial that Peter has here is probably the biggest failure of his life. I've had a few failures in my life. Heavy burdens to carry. Things that you wish you would never have done. Both as an unbeliever and as a believer. And you just carry, you know, failure is a hard thing to deal with, especially when you knew better. The enemy loves to throw seeds of condemnation, of accusation. And can you imagine how Peter's been feeling this whole time? Having to deal with his own failure, having to think of the betrayal, having to think of his his abandonment of Jesus in his deepest end. And and he failed. He didn't fail when he was under some kind of torture. He didn't fail and deny the Lord when when he had, you know, somebody twisting his arm and and in front of some king where he was afraid and nervous. He was just around the fire and there was a little servant girl there. That's where he denied. And he has run to the tomb, and he has seen the risen, but they don't quite understand what's going on. And Peter doesn't know where he stands. He doesn't know where he's going to... I mean, the, the last thing in Peter's mind is, I'm a failure. And that's, that's why I think he just says, I'm going back fishing. Who am I to be used of God? I'm just going to go back fishing. I, I'm not... I'm, not, I'm going to go back to my career. And yet Jesus comes to him, cooks him a meal, draws him close calls him in from the Sea of Galilee, and he says, Peter, do you love me? If you guys like to write in your Bible, circle the word. Well, you can just write next to it. In verse 15, the word love is the word agape. It's probably a verb form, agape, but that's how we learn agape. It's, it is the love that's described as supernatural that comes from God to us. The picture and description of love that you find for agape is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the kind of self-sacrificial love 
that, that one gives for another, expecting nothing in return. So I asked, do you agape? Do you love me with the love of the Father? And he says, of course I do. You know that. Well, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, he asks him again. The word for love in verse 16, same thing, agape. Do you love me, Peter, with the love from the Father? Like, do you love me with a supernatural love? And Peter says, yes. But in verse 17, he changes the word. In verse 17, it's the word phileo when it comes to love, where we get our English word Philadelphia. It it speaks of a brotherly love, but much more than that. It also speaks of a family love, that committed love that's within a family. The kind of love that you don't give up on one another. The kind of love that you stand strong with one another. And by the way, you Bible students, if you want to study something interesting, many times the relational aspect of love between your Father in heaven and you is actually described as phileo. The kind of love that a dad has for his kids. That deep love that you would do anything. It's relational. Now, many Bible commentators will look at this and say, well, what, Pete, what Jesus is doing with Peter is he's taking it down a notch so that he can affirm that kind of love. And I can see that, but I don't, see, I don't think that's completely all that Jesus is doing here. Jesus is drawing out for him the kind of tether of love that he's going to need. He's going to need both agape love, and he's also going to need phileo love to fulfill his calling. And the same is true for us. As a church family, we aren't going to make it without the agape love of God and the phileo love of God among us. That we might first experience the love of God and then begin to stick it out with one another no matter what. Phileo, it's deep. It's a deep love. It is, and, and you can see like Peter's wrestling. He's grieved. This is, he, it, you would think it would be going up, don't you? Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. But it's actually going down. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I know what I did. Yes, of course I love you, Jesus. You're everything to me. If you let him, that's how God will turn your failure into spiritual success and draw you closer to him. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and our final study in the Gospel of John. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you might be. Look for our podcast, too, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Pastor Ed, would you tell our listeners a bit about our pick of the month here in January? Well, you know, Larry, in January, we like to point people to the Lord. Well, this is a time of you know, getting healthy and resolutions and going back to the gym and all sorts of things. And to that, we say yes and amen. The real need is to get our eyes on the Lord. And so I picked a book, How to Break a Stubborn Habit, so that you might learn to submit your habits to the Lord. There are, Erwin Lutzer does such a great job in this book. It's on our discipleship reading list. So this is a familiar pick. We've had it before. Uh, But he goes on to talk about the three essential ground rules you must accept to truly change. He also talks about the secret to dismissing tempting thoughts rather than rehearsing them. And then he shares and teaches us the roles of God, Satan, and our loved ones in our success or failure. So there's a lot of talk about resolutions 
And this book says, if you've resolved to break a stubborn habit, then discover the grace and courage and wisdom that will help make it happen. It's an essential for your library. Please get it. It's blessed me personally. It's one of those books I like to reread regularly. Uh, I notice here on the Amazon page, it says 250,000 copies sold. Uh, and this is just one of those resources that will help you. Uh, get it, whether you support our ministry, you get it somewhere else, get it so that you might grow in God's grace. And we'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for How to Break a Stubborn Habit. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we deliver God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Come back tomorrow when we'll put the finishing touches on our study in John here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.